What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show. Patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. As much as 25 to 50 inches of rain still expected in the Houston area after Hurricane Harvey moves on. Uh, Maybe it'd be a good idea for Donald Trump to stay home, stay the hell out of Texas. Hello, everybody. What do you say on a Monday, August 28th? Good to see you today. Good to be back with you. It is Bill Press here for the Bill Press Show. Great to see you. I hope you were doing well wherever you happen to be. And uh, certainly uh, our best thoughts uh, go out to the good people of Texas, particularly in the path of Hurricane Harvey and the uh, horrendous destruction uh, and still uh, danger that they are dealing with with this uh, constant flooding and rains expected to continue through Friday, getting uh, uh, maybe the situation made even worse by the fact that uh, to save some dams, uh, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers has uh, has had to release water from some dams, which puts even more water uh, downstream. We'll give you the latest on that and all the other news of the day here on this Monday, August 28, uh, including the latest from uh, Donald Trump threatening to shut down the government if he doesn't get his wall. And Friday, uh, under the cover of Hurricane Harvey, issuing an unpardonable pardon to Sheriff Joe Arpaio of Arizona, a move that outraged both of the United States senators, Republican senators from Arizona. All of that coming up. Give us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. We'll get right to it. But first, Jamie Benson. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Monday morning over the weekend. (laughs) The nation's three biggest newspapers, the Washington Post, the New York Times, and the Wall Street Journal all lowering their paywalls because of Hurricane Harvey. So these three newspapers, if you were not subscribing to them, you were able to see every single article on their website for free. No 10-article limit. The New York Times told Politico, quote, During times when safety may be at risk, access to accurate and up-to-date information is crucial. This isn't the first time papers like the Times and the Post have done this. Bill, can you think about the last major event where they may have removed a paywall? Um, September 11. September 11, I, I think, you know, because that was the early days of the Internet. Oh, I, I don't okay. think we can trace it back that far. But the Post did this on Election Day 2016. 
They also did it back in that January 2016 snowstorm. The 20-plus inches of snow we had here in the D.C. metro area. And the Times, of course, doing this back uh, with Hurricane Sandy in 2012. Did so, the Wall Street Journal do it? Uh, the Wall Street Journal has not done this in the past, and they offered no comments uh, on, right. on this issue. Yeah, so. they, all, they all should just take down the paywall. It just yeah. drives me crazy. It drives me crazy, too. To France we go. Uh, some bad news for new French <laughs> President Emmanuel Macron. He uh, has seen some record low approval numbers. We <laughs> think Donald Trump has it bad. I was going to say, no wonder. He invited Donald Trump to Paris. He did, yeah, and quickly, too, right right off the jump. Only 40% of respondents said that they were satisfied with Macron's presidency, while 57% says they are fully dissatisfied. One in five said they are deeply unsatisfied. Bill, while you were out last week, I read those a story. Are, those are kind of the Donald Trump numbers. They're, right? they're, they're on par, but yeah, for someone yeah. like Macron, who had yeah. certainly a lot of optimism. Well, stratospheric, yeah. Uh, I read a story last week, Bill, about how Macron has already spent over 30000 U.S. dollars on makeup in his first few months of his presidency, <laughs> which caused a bit of a scandal uh, and may have something to do with these poll numbers here. So poor Macron. Uh, to the American box office over the weekend. Ooh, tough, tough weekend for Hollywood. This was an unusually low turnout this weekend. Uh, lows, we haven't seen uh, lows this low since 9-11, uh, as far as folks going out to the theaters, Whoa. the hitman's bodyguard, Samuel L. Jackson and Ryan Reynolds are in that one. It's a thriller. It claimed first place with just $10 million. Ooh. Only $65 million in ticket sales overall over the weekend. You know why? Everybody's watching the fight. That's right. Yeah. you got to pay $100 for that thing. Why go to the movie theater? <laughs> On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hey, 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 what do you say on a Monday, August 28th? Hello, everybody. It is The Bill Press Show. That's me. Good to be back with you after a week on the uh, West Coast. Went back to see, uh, went to California to see the eclipse and saw nothing but fog uh, all day long. Uh, But we watched the eclipse on uh, my uh, iPhone, actually, on the NASA uh, video, which was spectacular. Congratulations to NASA for their video feed. We're following it all the way across the country. It is good to be back with you. Thank you for joining us today on this Monday with lots and lots to talk about. And a big thank you out there to uh, Sabrina Siddiqui and to uh, John Allen, Igor Volsky, and of course, uh, our own Peter Ogburn for filling in uh, while I was gone, and boy, <laughs> you know, you kind of want to put things uh, aside when you're uh, on vacation, but with Donald Trump, it's impossible. And uh, so, yes, even though I tried to stay away from the news, uh, there were times when he broke through uh, because of uh, actions like the big speech in Phoenix last Tuesday, uh, like Friday night's pardon of Joe Arpaio, and of course, his response to uh, Hurricane Harvey. And then his uh, little uh, undercover uh, signing of a director of Over the Weekend uh, to uh, make it official that transgender Americans are not welcome in the United States military. So much to talk about, uh, and we appreciate your being with us. So we want to hear from you what you think about all the news of the day. Remember, we're coming to you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. 
broadcasting live on YouTube. Thank you for joining us there. Thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, and hello out in Chicago on the great WCPT, Progressive Voice of Chicago, where we start the day with you every day uh, and proud to do so. Uh, and our podcast up every day, uh, remember, at uh, YouTube.com slash The Bill Press I got to tell you, Bill, more and more people listen to the podcast All these right. days. We're All right. uh, uh, obviously you know, very <laughs> grateful for your support, but I, I want to say one thing about that. If you like the podcast, if you subscribe to the podcast, you listen to it every day. You're supposed to rate it, right? Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use. That means if you do that, it helps us reach more people. More people listen to the podcast. More people listen to the Bill Press Show every day. All right. So, yeah. So be part of the team. Uh, not only tune in, but rate the podcast while you are there. Uh, yeah, well, let's start with uh, Hurricane Harvey, what is now just huge rainstorm, Harvey. Uh, there are not words to describe what's happening down in the Houston area. I mean, the weather service, the weather service, which is usually just, here are the facts, ma'am, right? The weather service saying about Houston, quote, they tweeted yesterday morning, quote, this event is unprecedented and all impacts are unknown and beyond anything experienced. The National Weather Service, they say, and advise people to follow orders from officials to ensure safety. Uh, it's amazing to me that there hasn't been greater, uh, and fortunate there hasn't been greater loss of life, but some five lives uh, reported loss so far. Uh, but this is far, far from over. Uh, FEMA director yesterday telling us that they're going to be there for years in the Houston area repairing the damage. This is the fourth largest city in the country, uh, Houston. Uh, and the streets are rivers. The streets are lakes. I mean, the entire city, the suburbs flooded. Incredible stories of rescues. I'm sure you've seen some of the video of uh, people, uh, images of Katrina, people punching holes in the roofs of their home uh, because they know that the, the waters are going to rise and that may be their only way out. People already lifted from the rooftops of their homes uh, out of their cars. Um, somebody said that the, the, the water is so deep uh, that you can't even see all the cars that are that are buried beneath it. Uh, it is raining. It was raining in Houston again yesterday. is expected to rain again today and tomorrow, and continue raining through Friday. Um, we've heard from um, some of the people again. I mentioned uh, Brock Brock Long, who is the director of FEMA. There are many positions open at FEMA and unfair Fulfilled, fill unfilled at FEMA because President Trump has not appointed anybody. That is one issue. Uh, but the director, Brock Long, says, no, they're able to handle this situation. Uh, everything is under control. But again, he says, uh, this is going to be a long time that we're going to be there. Uh, FEMA is going to be there for years, sir. Um, this disaster recovery, this, this disaster is going to be a landmark event. And uh, we're already in the stages. While we're focused on response right now and helping Texas, you know, respond, we're already pushing forward uh, recovery housing teams. Um, we're already pushing forward forces to be on the ground to implement uh, national flood insurance program policies as well and doing the inspections that we need. So we're setting up and gearing up for uh, the next couple years. So far as we've seen, uh, the response has been uh, pretty well coordinated between federal agencies, FEMA, uh, and others. Uh, state, the state uh, responding, the National Guard troops are out, and the city forces all out there as well. 
uh, government uh, government agencies working well together. The problem is there are just some areas they just can't get to because the roads are impassable. Uh, and so they've been calling on people. Anybody's got a boat, get your boat out and uh, just start going door to door and helping anybody that you can. Sylvester Turner is the mayor of Houston. It may sound a little contradictory because you see so many people being rescued from their homes, but still the mayor says it's better to be in your home than you know out in the street. We're going to expect more rain later on today, probably on Monday, probably on Tuesday. I know people don't like to be cooked up in their homes, but that is the safest place to be. And a question has been, some people have asked the question, with God, when you saw this coming, why didn't you just evacuate Houston? A good question, but at the same time, we are talking about the fourth largest city in the country. Uh, The mayor says, you know, putting that evacuation plan together, apparently there was not one, uh, was just impossible. To try to put forth some sort of evacuation in a a couple of days uh, was literally, I mean, the logistics would have been crazy. Logistics would have been crazy. The governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, uh, says the same thing. Uh, Let's not waste any time worrying about whether or not we should have evacuated. Let's just help the people who are here. We've moved beyond uh, whether or not there should have been an evacuation or not. And we are at the stage where we just need to respond uh, to the emergencies and necessities uh, the people of Houston have. Uh, Yes, indeed. So the headline in the New York Times this morning, Deadly Storm Transforms Houston Streets into Raging Rivers. Devastation overwhelms a region of Texas where torrential rain is far from over. I think that's important to underscore again. Uh, The Weather Service telling us they can expect heavy rains in the Houston area continuing, continuing today, tomorrow, all the way through Friday before there's any relief, which means the flooding is only going to get worse. There's no place for that water to go, Uh, and which does raise the question about what the hell President Trump is doing, saying that he wants to go down there and see for himself. He wants to be, you know, he wants to be the man on the scene, and he's planning on going down there tomorrow, which I think would be a big mistake. You know, we've been through this so many times, particularly after President uh, Bush uh, failed to respond directly and aggressively enough and and got a lot of blame for for Katrina. Uh, that every president wants to be on the job, to be seen on the job, uh, in action, doing everything they can on the scene. Understand that? That's perfectly acceptable. That's perfectly okay. But you ought to do it at a time when you're not getting in the way, when people are not still suffering. Uh, The White House does say the president's plans are flexible. Uh, I would just hope they could change. It seems to me that tomorrow is just a little too soon to be flying in because I mean, imagine all the police officers, all the emergency responders uh, who are all going to have to be diverted uh, to accommodating and protecting the president of the United States when he's down there. They have more important things to do right now than to make Donald Trump look good in Texas. He can look good a week from today. You know, and we we made a point last week as the storm was beginning to gather that we certainly don't want Hurricane Harvey to be politicized, right? We don't want to have to focus on what President Trump is going to do here. The focus, number one, is on saving human lives, right? Uh, One would hope. 100%. But if you look at Donald Trump's Twitter feed over the past couple of days, he does sort of seem to be treating this like a reality show. 
some of the remarks. Let's I'll read some of the tweets here. Wow. Now experts oh, are yeah. calling hashtag Harvey a once in 500 year flood. We have an all out effort going and going well using liberal use here of the exclamation marks. Going to a cabinet meeting, teleconference in parentheses, at 11 a.m. on hashtag Harvey. Even experts have said they've never seen one like this. He doesn't really seem to be concerned. About the people who are suffering there. Exactly. It's the size of it. It's the, in other words, it's sort of like the inaugural crowd, right? Sure. The biggest ever. So that was the biggest ever crowd ever at any inauguration. Not. Uh, now he's saying this is the biggest. It's like he's bragging. That he has delivered the biggest hurricane to hit this country since 2005. Yeah, and that, and that it's brings... It's almost like this is another one of my accomplishments, right? Right. Yes, I have Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court, <laughs> and I have Hurricane Harvey to brag about. Yeah, it is, and, and that, that brings us to the latest tweet, the most recent tweet 12 hours ago. Historic, in all caps, rainfall in Houston and all over Texas. Floods are unprecedented and more rain coming. Spirit of the people is incredible. Thanks. I'm sorry. If I were in Houston and I yeah. were on top of my attic right now and someone uh, told me that yeah. he had tweeted like th- tweeted yeah. like this, uh, I'd, I'd be, be pissed. I'd be pretty pissed, too. Yeah. But that's the way Donald Trump is treating Harvey's situation. Again, any breaking news on that, we'll bring you up to date as we go along. Uh, I got to tell you, again, on vacation last week, still couldn't escape the uh, escape. The outrages coming from the uh, Trump White House. And, you know, since look, let's forget about everything he did during the campaign that we found outrageous just since he's been president. I mean, again, claiming is still out there. And I don't forget it. I don't think people Americans should forget it. This is a man who accused President Obama of of wiretapping him at Trump Tower. Uh, Still shown no proof for that. This is a man, of course, who tried to shut down the investigation uh, into uh, possible collusion between his team and Russian officials. And when he couldn't do so, he fired uh, James Comey. Uh, talk about another outrage. Uh, this is the man, of course, who uh, in the wake of a uh, neo-Nazi skinhead white supremacist revival in Charlottesville, uh, Virginia, uh, said there were good people on both sides. Yeah, and there were some very, very fine people among those neo-Nazis and white supremacists. Uh, and we should all respect them and listen to them no freaking way. Uh, it, but on top of those outrages, they just keep coming. They just keep coming. And the latest are uh, last Tuesday uh, uh, down, in, down in Phoenix, uh, Donald Trump doing a campaign rally. Yeah, he is actually, he's not governing. He is already campaigning for re-election in 2020, that's what this was all about on Tuesday. It was a Donald Trump 2020 campaign rally in which, first of all, he said, in Charlottesville, I did the right thing. I condemned uh, any violence down there. I condemned uh, any hatred down there. No, no, no. That's what he said, remember? He always misquotes himself now. He doesn't say the full quote. What he originally said was there was violence, there was hatred on many sides. He didn't condemn the skinheads. He, he condemned anybody who was down there putting the protesters, like uh, the, the young woman who was killed, in the same category as the guy who drove the car into the crowd, killing her and wounding so many others. Um, and, and then Donald Trump in Phoenix says, yep, we're going to, down there in uh, close to the border, right, we're going to build that wall, and if we don't build that wall, Donald Trump says, 
Here's what I'll do. I'll shut down the entire government. Build that wall. Now, the obstructionist Democrats would like us not to do it, but believe me, if we have to close down our government, we're building that wall. You know, it does get kind of tiring for him to keep blaming the obstructionist Democrats. Uh, we all know, the American people know, they don't buy this anymore. Republicans control the Congress. If they can't get anything done, it's not obstructionist Democrats. I wish it were obstructionist Democrats. Republicans control the House. They control the Senate. They're not working with Democrats at all. They haven't reached out to Democrats at all. Donald Trump can't get the funding for the wall because Republicans in Congress won't give it to him. Because remember, remember at one time, Mexico was supposed to pay for this wall. Donald Trump doesn't talk about that uh, anymore. Uh, and in fact, after he put out that, after he said that statement on Tuesday, the president of Mexico once again came out and said, just in case there's any question about it, there's no way, no how. No, but under no circumstances, by any means, whether it's through trade or through direct cash or an IOU or whatever, there is no way, he said, Mexico is going to have anything to do with paying for that wall. So Donald Trump, just forget about it. But the idea that Donald Trump would be willing, this is not, this is not the Tea Party, right, in Congress. These are not the extremist Republicans in Congress who have been known to be willing to shut down the government, for example, um, rather than fund Planned Parenthood. This is the president of the United States saying, I will shut down the government, meaning every government agency will shut down. Of course, they always make an exception for the Pentagon, which means no social, social security checks go out, no Medicare checks go out, no Medicaid checks go out. Federal agencies are shut down. You can't get a passport. You know, uh, you can't I mean, think about all the different things we depend on the federal government for. National parks shut down across the board. Why? So he can get his freaking wall. Right? He doesn't get his way in Congress. Republicans won't go along with him, he says. He will shut down the entire government. You could not be more irresponsible than that in order to get his wall. Uh, I would hope that Republicans would call us bluff on that. By the way, there was a moment at the press briefing on Thursday with Sarah Huckabee Sanders where Cecilia Vega of ABC News asked her about who's paying for this wall, right? The Mexican president yeah, said, again, yeah. we're not paying for the wall. But here's Sarah Sanders saying, well, they haven't said that they're not going to. I'm not saying that Mexico is going to pay for it. He hasn't no. said they're not either, Noah. Oh, yeah, good answer. Yeah, again, it's, it's like the four or five-year-old pointing, well, you know, you know, it's 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 him, not me. You know, he, it hasn't come out of his mouth yet. It's, it's just it's it's crap. It really is. Uh, it's embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, as, meanwhile, uh, so we're just talking about the latest outrages from uh, Donald Trump uh, over the weekend. Remember, it was a month or six weeks ago uh, that Donald Trump it tweeted out uh, that trans with without. Consulting with the Pentagon, he said he talked to the generals, but he didn't talk to, uh, uh, from what we've heard from the Secretary of Defense, he did not consult with the Secretary of Defense. It was These were not the generals who were asking him to do this, but nonetheless, Donald Trump did tweet out that from now on, uh, reversing a policy of the Obama administration, transgender Americans uh, who are now serving in the military— uh, will no longer be allowed to serve in the military, and no other transgender Americans would be allowed to join the military. Uh, at the time, uh, the defense secretary says, well, you know, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, uh, a tweet is just a tweet is just a tweet. 
uh, and we don't have any orders from the White House to do this. So basically, nothing is going to change. Uh, and we all breathed a certain sigh of relief, saying that this was just uh, another Donald Trump tweet into outer space that doesn't have any impact at all. Uh, Donald Trump uh, proved over the weekend that he meant what he said. He actually signed a directive, an order, presidential order, directing the Pentagon right now to end any military service for transgender Americans, these men and women uh, in uniform, wearing the uniform, protecting our country in Iraq and Afghanistan, around the globe, who've done so nobly, who've done so proudly, uh, who are serving all of us Americans, Donald Trump saying their service is no longer welcome. They are going to be tossed out of the military, thanks to Donald Trump, showing no compassion, no understanding, discriminating against them just because they happen to be transgender, and putting out the word that if you are a transgender American, uh, you love your country, you want to serve your country uh, in the military. Uh, thanks, but no thanks. We don't want you. Uh, you are not equal citizens in the eyes of Donald Trump. Disgusting, uh, unnecessary. What, what if we, we saw those numbers? Transgender Americans amount to maybe 0.001% of our American military, but in Donald Trump's world, uh, they are second-class Americans. But thanks, Ivanka. What are you saying? Thanks, Ivanka. Yeah, thanks, Ivanka, who is going to prevent her father from doing uh, any, any, any such thing. Uh, and the, the most outrageous of all, of course, is under the cover of Hurricane Harvey, as all the cable news stations and all the networks are on Texas, eyes on Texas, uh, wall to wall, uh, starting on Friday, Donald Trump chooses about 5 o'clock Friday to do what he promised, well, he indicated he might do at that speech in Phoenix, and that is he issued his pardon of Sheriff Joe Arpaio of Arizona, who had been convicted, may I remind you, of breaking the law himself, who had been convicted by a judge, by, charged, charged, and then found guilty by a judge of refusing to obey a de Department of Justice order not to discriminate against Latinos in the state of Arizona. Joe Apario said, oh, no, 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 we're still going to do that. Anybody with a brown skin, we're still going to top, stop. Whether they've committed a crime or not, they've got a brown skin. We stop them and we check their papers. Uh, that is outright racism, outright discrimination. He was told to stop it. He refused to stop it. He was charged. He was convicted. And before he was even sentenced, Donald Trump pardoned him on Friday. Uh, why? No, there's no possible explanation because what Donald Trump is doing is saying, basically, you can break the law. You can violate the Constitution. You can defy the Department of Justice. You can defy uh, uh, law enforcement officers, the legitimate powers of this land. You can defy them as long as you're my buddy and I've got your back and then and then everything is okay. And, and what's ironic about this and what's outrageous about this mostly is, so Donald Trump, of course, he's the legal power to do this. He has the power under the Constitution to pardon anybody. And he has used his power under the Constitution to pardon the man who violated the Constitution and refused to obey the legal process set out in the Constitution of the United States. So he uses the Constitution 
to trash the Constitution. This is classic, classic Donald Trump. Joe Arpaio, a man who belongs in jail himself, uh, who won't get there now thanks to Donald Trump. And the, Don and the Trump White House says, well, but by the way, this was so outrageous that even that John McCain and Jeff Flake, both U.S. senators from Arizona, said there was no purpose, no reasoning, no defense of this, and it sends absolutely the wrong message. It undermines uh, our system of law and order in this country. And even the spineless Paul Ryan had to come out and say this was a bad move, uh, this should not have happened, and he criticized uh, the president. Of course, that doesn't mean anything for Paul Ryan. He'll still do whatever Donald Trump wants because Paul Ryan wants his tax reform and he wants Donald Trump to sign it. But he did issue a statement uh, criticizing uh, the president's The president's pardon. new at this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Evergreen. Right. He'll keep saying that. He'll keep saying that, yeah. Um, the uh, It was... Uh, Tom Bossert, I believe, speaking for the administration yesterday, who said, well, um, you know, look, Joe Pio, he's a, he's a nice guy and he served our country well, so he deserves this pardon. I think there's a clemency argument that can be made for uh, the long history of service, both uh, in the United States military and in law enforcement for the sheriff. I think the president's been pretty clear. It's pretty straightforward that he believes that that uh, long history of service uh, merits this clemency. I mean, that is such a BS argument, I can't believe it. So he served in the military. Okay. Uh, he was a, a sheriff for a long time. Okay. So he commits mass murder. Then you say, well, you know, look, he, he was a good guy. You know, he served in the military, so we have to, we have to uh, pardon him out of clemency. I mean, this is nonsense, total nonsense. The fact is, again, he was told... By the by, the by a judge, what you are doing is outright discrimination, outright racism. It is violates the Constitution of the United States. You can no longer uh, uh, continue this practice of 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 just stopping again anybody who happened to be Latino uh, and uh, demand to see their papers. You cannot continue to do that. Joe Arpaio says, "I'm going to defy the law," and Donald Trump says, "Good for you, good for you." And this is on top of. Right. Back in Charlottesville, not that long ago, this is on top. So he defends this racist Joe Arpaio right after on top of he defends the neo-Nazis and the skinheads and the white supremacists in Charlottesville. Does Donald Trump believe in anything? Where are his values? Well, at least one member of his cabinet suggests that maybe Donald Trump doesn't have the same values that the rest of us Americans have. Rex Tillerson on uh, Fox News Sunday yesterday. This this is incredible. First of all, so he's asked by Chris Wallace about whether Americans still have uh, the same values that we pride ourselves on and the world looks to us uh, for. And Tillerson says, you know, of course, we Americans, you know, we all have these, these, we share the same values, no doubt about it. I don't believe anyone doubts the American people's values or the commitment of the American government or the government's agencies to advancing those values and defending those values. Oh, well, what about Donald Trump? Is he part of that crowd? And, and the president's values? The president speaks for himself, Chris. Oh, wow. That is devastating. That is really so damning. And I, I just don't understand why a guy like Rex Tillerson or Gary Cohn 
can stay in this administration. Or Steve Mnuchin. Or, Even, well, no, Steve Mnuchin is a... He had a bad week last week, but regardless, I, I, I he's think, no Bannon. Uh, no, but I think Steve Mnuchin is the biggest ass kisser that the White House has ever seen. Uh, <laughs> we'll go on record with that one. Okay, I, yeah. Uh, but Gary Cohn and Rex Tillerson, they have, they, Steve Mnuchin has done nothing but defend Donald Trump. He, Steve Mnuchin, a Jew, defended Donald Trump for defending the people who marched through Charlottesville chanting, Jews will not replace us. Steve Mnuchin says the president was right to do that. Gary Cohn says it was wrong. Rex Tillerson says it was wrong. Uh, and for a cabinet member, secretary of state to say, uh, the president speaks for himself, not for me, uh, is about as damning as you can get. Meanwhile, what's happening with the Trump economy? What's happening with the market? And what could happen if there is a government shutdown? Take a look at the state of the economy next with Larry Michelle from the Economic Policy Institute here in Washington, D.C. Joining us in studio. Stay with us on this Monday, August 28th. The president speaks for himself, Chris. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Here we go on a Monday, August 28th. It is the Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live coast to coast uh, on uh, YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, and a simulcast on Free Speech TV. Joining you out in Chicago on the great WCPT. Brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters. Indeed, we were just talking about. Houston and the first responders on the job, you know, that includes our firefighters. The men and women are firefighting departments across the country on the front lines every day protecting American families. Uh, and uh, under the leadership of uh, Harold, uh, President Harold Schaidberger, check out their good work at their website, IAFF.org. Uh, and speaking of that uh, first half hour, we always ask for your comments on Twitter. Jamie, what are we hearing? Getting some good reaction on Twitter at BP Show. Tweet at us at BP Show. A lot of reaction to the Sheriff Joe Arpaio pardon. Ron on Twitter says, quote, you can be a racist and upright white uh, supremacist and still be POTUS, and this proves it. Fred Wilder on Twitter says, sure, there's an excuse for Sheriff Joe pardon to see if he can get away with it and see if he can pardon his kids and himself. Mm -hmm. And finally, from inside the chat room, Scott says, uh, 45, as in Trump did this, pardon because he needs practice to get ready to pardon when Mueller starts to charge 45's cronies. Uh, yeah, that that's a good seems, point. Uh, that, that does seem to be the what this is a setup for. It's uh, for the pardon, pardons yet to come. For of uh, Michael Flynn and Paul Manafort uh, and Carter Page and uh, who else is in that group? Roger Stone and maybe Jared Kushner. Who knows who else? Keep your comments coming, by the way, on Twitter at BP Show and inside the YouTube chat room, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, important report released last week about how today's unions are helping working people uh, in this economy, which is still in the recovery process. Um, the uh, author of that report, or at least the president of the Economic Policy Institute, which released that report, 
Uh, Larry Michelle joins us in studio the, uh, this morning. Larry, it's good to see you. Thank Great you. Great to be here. Thank you, Bill. Uh, what do you What do you rate the overall economy? Um, you know, like on a scale of one to ten, how are we doing? Well, the uh, you know the headline numbers uh, unemployment are low. Yeah. Um, and we've seen record low, right? Pretty not not record, but you know close to record. Uh, and um, you know. But we still see wages not rising faster than inflation very much. Mm-hmm. They have been rising faster than inflation for um, a few years, which is a stark contrast to almost the last 40 years, except for the late 1990s. So that's good. But we've been through a period of really submerged incomes for almost uh, uh, 20 years. And that's one reason we have such an uh, ornery country. Uh, we had a really deep recession. Mm-hmm. Incomes really fell. They didn't really recover um, yet, and um, so so people are struggling. They struggled throughout Obama uh, in the last couple of years. Um, incomes were growing, but you know that's uh, you need a lot more of that to to make people put a put a smile on people's face. Right. How do you equate for the or explain uh, the fact that every day it seems. Uh, the Dow sets a new record every time we turn around. I mean, we don't even pay attention to it almost anymore. It's stratospheric. It's, what, above 21,000? This Trump bump, they're calling it. Right. On top of, we might, must add, the Obama bump. Yeah, well, the, the stock market's been rising since uh, 2009, and uh, it's not uh, much faster now than it was under Obama. Uh, you know, the thing is, the stock market doesn't really... Uh, indicate either a good economy or that the economy is working for most people. You know, most of the stock is owned by the uh, the top 10%. Half the households own zero stock, and only around a third of the households own at least $5,000 worth of stock. So the stock market going up doesn't really help all that many people. But pension and, funds, aren't they? Well, pension funds, uh, but, you know, um, people don't own those pension funds. So when the firefighters that sponsor this show... Yeah. They have pension funds run by cities and states. Uh, you know, if the pension funds do better, they don't necessarily get better benefits. Mm-hmm. In private firms that have defined benefit plans, you know, they feel they have the right, and law says, to cancel the plans and take the surplus. So people don't Which own own the, own the, own the, own yeah. the pensions. Uh, and when I talked about the stock ownership, I did include numbers that were for people who had 401ks or IRAs and and such. So most people don't really have much in the stock market. And the stock market is rising because um, profits are, are near record high uh, and historically high, which is a we should really pause on that uh, and say that uh, profits pre tax are historically high, profits after tax are historically high. And then you got to wonder why is there such a rush to cut corporate taxes? Why are corporate tax cuts supposed to lead to more investment and growth when they already have the mm-hmm. historically high profits after tax and there's not a lot of investment and growth is not so good? It, it you know, and, and Donald Trump has bragged about the high profits and uh, people, for some reason, don't connect these two things. Somehow, American corporations are supposed to be not competitive while they're earning the highest profits well, almost ever. So that also begs a question about regulations, correct? Uh, I mean, absolutely, absolutely. Regulations have not 
hampered uh, companies. They they're making profits, uh, you know, and it, it's ne never been thus. But you know, they this is um, you know this is just pure greed uh, to um, uh, you know relax the regulations. I mean, you know, don't we want clean water and clean air? You know, uh, as a, a regulation that they're relaxing includes things like um, uh, weakening the overtime rule at the Department of Labor. When people hear regulation, they think of a lot of paperwork mm -hmm. when you want to build a building or something like that. They're not thinking about something that makes your water clean, your air clean. They're not thinking about uh, the Department of Labor saying that a middle-wage worker who makes $37,000 a year has a right to overtime if they're working 60 hours, they should get paid for those last 20 hours. So that's a regulation. When they say deregulation, they're talking about all that. They're saying that a company uh, doesn't have to keep their safety records any, uh, you know, for five years as the Department of Labor uh, mm -hmm. regulation mm -hmm. was saying, you know, and which we need those records to be able to understand, uh, you know, the, the track record of companies. So, uh, you know, I think regulation sound deregulation sounds good uh, at a headline level, but I think when people understand uh, what they are, I mean, who wants to ride in an elevator that's not regulated, right? Or who wants to eat meat <laughs> eat. that hasn't been uh, yeah. uh, tested or approved? Nobody right, inspected. does. Nobody yeah. does. Uh, Larry Michelle with us again from the Economic Policy Institute. It's epi dot org. Um, you find out more about this report, which we're going to talk about here with the with the unions. But first, another question about this economy. You know, I keep reading where uh, a lot of uh, business leaders um, are disappointed that uh, despite all of his promises, Donald Trump hasn't delivered, wasn't able to repeal Obamacare, hasn't delivered on tax reform, looks like he even won't this year now, hasn't delivered on infrastructure. But they still, you know, they still have confidence in him, but that all of that confidence could be destroyed if there's a government shutdown. Uh, what impact do you think the government shut down, that, that this, this constant rise in the market even, you know, would just collapse if there's a government shutdown? How, how, uh, well, there's two things the going on. There's, there's a government shutdown and then there's also uh, not raising the debt ceiling. And um, the not raising the debt ceiling is the one that has really consequential economic really? Yeah. Uh, matters. Uh -huh. uh, and... Um, you know, I think the Republicans have learned their lesson, at least the ones on Capitol Hill. Uh, uh, yeah, Mr. Yeah. Trump doesn't Maybe seem to Maybe not the have, one in the White House. Not the right. one in the White House, but uh, that uh, they get blamed for that. And, and ultimately, people don't like to see the government shut down. And, and they imagine that, um, you know, Congress in the, should be able to take care of business, especially when it's governed by just one party. Mm -hmm. So the fact that the government shuts down and, and if the president shuts it down because he wants a wall that, um, you know, 60% of the population doesn't want at all. I'm not so sure. Um, you know, they, 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 he just seems like the petulant toddler that he actually acts like. Uh, do you think it could send the economy in a tailspin? I don't think a government shutdown does. A, a debt ceiling uh, issue is, um, you know, strikes at the, uh, the dollar being the uh, global exchange. And uh, if the government doesn't pay its debt, which, you know, it has been sworn to do since our founding. Uh, we've, we've guarded that, and it's, uh, uh, it's one of the most um, reliable um, investments you can have is to own a government bond. Um, 
So uh, I think it's worthwhile keeping that. Um, and um, but I, you know, what's interesting about the it is that um, you know the right wingers won't vote for uh, raising the debt ceiling. So it makes the Paul Ryan right. have to make a deal <laughs> with Nancy Pelosi, yeah, and she gets right. something out of it, which um, you know, good for her. Right. It 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 is. I be, and I think, as I recall, it was the same way with John Boehner. It's the one time that he had to say, "Okay, uh, the so called Nancy, the so called <laughs> Hastert rule, we're not going to apply here. We've got to do something. So we're going to have to. We're forced to work with the Democrats. All right, Nancy, what do you want? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of funny. That's the way government, the way government should work. Well, these do, these, do you do you see yeah. any lasting impact? to all these business leaders in the wake of Charlottesville uh, resigning from Donald Trump's, so many resigning or threatening to resign that he actually abolished <laughs> this uh, manufacturer's council that he had? Well, it's a it's a shame that they even joined to begin with uh, and because it's actually not like his uh, his attitudes weren't weren't clear all through the election campaign. Um, so he, he, you know, it does um, make him more isolated. I think, um, you know, I don't think it's really going to hurt their businesses. The ones who didn't resign were the ones who were uh, government contractors, <laughs> you know, because they mm-hmm. were worried uh, about about the payback. Um, so you know, uh, I don't think these leaders, if um, uh, they called uh, the commerce secretary or the treasury secretary, they'd still get there calls returned. Um, so uh, I'm not sure it's how consequential it is for them. I don't know how consequential it is for for uh, Trump. But it is, uh, it is nice to know that business leaders uh, have something, uh, some moral code that you can't cross. Uh, and, um, and, you know, and it's embarrassing, I, I say as an American Jew, it's embarrassing uh, to note that... Um, when he was saying these things at an infrastructure event, uh, on one side was Elaine Chao, an Asian uh, yeah, American woman, right. and the other side was uh, Mnuchin and Cohn, two uh, American Jews. Uh, and I, uh, I just can't imagine what it was like for them to hear the, uh, him talk like that. And um, you know, and, and what's why? Why do they feel they need to stay? Uh, to be able to deliver tax cuts for corporate America, that's a that's a sacred trust. Um, anyway, uh, it's just um, uh, on remarkable. Friday, um, Steve Mnuchin. I, I I think it's a there's quite a contrast th- th- as I that I see between the response of Steve Mnuchin, who I think defends Donald Trump uh, anytime for any reason, anything he does, and Gary Cohn, who does seem to have more of a moral code. But Mnuchin was um, uh, appeared in our White House briefing on Friday, uh, and uh, he talks about the, whether either one of them might resign. Here he is. Under no circumstances uh, was was I going to resign. Uh, Gary and I have known each other for 20 years. I can tell you, I'm speaking to him every day. His number one focus is absolutely working on tax reform with me. Yeah, but the letter that Gary Cohn wrote to the President of the United States was uh, definitively. More critical, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But um, yeah, but they want to stay there because um, you know their real commitment is to um, cutting taxes on the rich and the wealthy uh, and corporations. 
and um, you know, uh, it, it doesn't make uh, it doesn't really really make sense. But um, you know, they're representing their class. Uh, mm. They're representing Goldman Sachs. Yeah, they're representing um, the interests of the of the business community. Um, who sees this as a uh, once in a generation chance uh, to cut taxes? Uh, I hope everyone uh, listening understands that when they t- cut taxes, this will not do anything to raise job growth. This will not do anything to increase economic growth. Um, and ultimately, this will mean uh, cuts in entitlements like Social Security, Medicare, or Medicaid, or domestic spending. Uh, they are not, um, you know, the, if they raise the deficit as a, uh, because of it sometime, they're going to turn around and say, we have a high deficit, therefore we have to take away this spending. That's been the game for 40 years. It hasn't changed. And uh, the idea that, um, you know, we, we have cut uh, taxes on the rich over the last 40 years. We have cut corporate taxes over the last 40 years. Donald Trump calls the state of the American economy carnage. If we have done all that deregulation and cutting taxes for 40 years and we ended up with carnage, of course, we should do more of it. Uh, You know, while we have produced, as we said earlier, the highest after tax corporate profits, you know, in in 70 uh, years or so, almost 80 years. So. Uh, you know, it 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 defies um, uh, real economic logic, but uh, it's really never been about economic logic. It's about um, you know people using the power of government to enrich themselves mm-hmm. and enrich their friend and enrich their friends, yes. and their, particularly their their donors and now their their corporate donors. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, how long have we been led into this siren song? If we only cut taxes on the wealthy, that you know then. The whole economy is going to lift, right? Uh, well, it started. Uh, and, and, it started mid Jimmy Carter. So uh, where you know they cut the capital under, gains tax. Not under Ronald Reagan. Well, it, it, it you know uh, Ronald Reagan uh, is where the ideology yeah was right. was worshipped. Um, but uh, you know the business community has been selling that um, you know since you know all throughout the seventies and right. and they got some results starting in Jimmy Carter and. Um, so, Obviously, under under Ronald Reagan. All right. So let me ask you again, Larry Michelle, with us from the Economic Policy Institute, EPI.org. So um, uh, I'm a proud union member um, for you. 30 some years. Um, I uh, this show is sponsored um, just about 100 percent by um, America's labor unions. Uh, we God mentioned the them. firefighters, but the machinists and the laborers and the teamsters and uh, uh, the AFGE, American Federation of Government Employees. President J. David Cox is coming in uh, in the next hour. Oh, great. Uh, so m- many unions, the AFT, the NEA, I don't want to forget any of them, but they're out there, iron workers. Um, and uh, so I'm a, I'm a proud union member and, 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 uh, and recognize the importance that unions have made to the building of the middle class in this country. You just looked at the, the role of unions today. What did you find? Well... We compiled a, a report that examined uh, a lot of questions about the unions, but our conclusion is, one, uh, we will not have shared prosperity. We will not have uh, an expanding middle class. We will not get uh, strong middle class wage growth unless we restore collective bargaining. And two, 
uh, we won't have a robust democracy. Workers don't have a voice uh, if they don't organize themselves uh, in organizations that they run themselves um, and participate in the political process. And I'm not saying, you know, to help Democrats or be progressives, but on the very basic bread and butter issues that working people uh, rely on, like what's having unemployment compensation that's worth a darn, having worker comp worth a darn. I mean, there's a good reason why Texas is the only state that doesn't have a worker comp system, meaning when you get injured, there's no guarantee, there's no way, you, you know, you lose an arm, a hand, you don't necessarily get any compensation. Um, so, uh, you know, that's because it's a, it's a tremendously non-union state. Uh, there's a reason why Florida doesn't even have a Department of Labor, a state Department of Labor. Um, so, um, you know, workers, when they don't have their own organizations, they, 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 they're, of course, you know, business organizations have their trade associations, they have the chambers of sure. commerce, mm-hmm. they have a lot of uh, restaurant associations, trucking associations, hey, all got, that stuff. They're organized. They've got uh, thousands, of, an army of lobbyists here in Washington. Yeah, amazing. D.C. And if uh, workers uh, don't uh, organize themselves, they won't have a, a, a voice uh, in the democratic process. So. Uh, you know, we have uh, enunciated uh, in this country that uh, unions are important for democracy. Uh, people may not remember, if they're too young, Solidarity in Poland, where Ronald Reagan, you know, defended uh, the right of workers to organize in mm-hmm. in, in Poland. Uh, it's but, always striking that that actually was started. He could do that in Poland, but of course... It, it, not here. Not here, right. And that actually Busting started with a, a transit here. worker strike. People remember the shipyards, but it actually yeah. started as a, which, which here would be a public sector worker strike. Um, so, yes. And, and Ronald Reagan, as um, the Department of Labor just uh, reminded us, uh, once was the president of the Screen Actors Guild and, and apparently uh, led them on their first three strikes. So uh, he believed in unions except when he didn't. Um, and um, But, you know, here's the other thing. Um, the... The mantra out there is that somehow collective bargaining and unions are dinosaurs. They're a thing of the past. Uh, They don't fit the modern economy. Um, There's nothing true about that. But what is true is that our means of overseeing the collective bargaining system, the National Labor Relations Act, doesn't really work all that well. It doesn't work to help workers. Uh, And so we do have an outmoded system of collective bargaining, rules Mm -hmm. around collective bargaining. But collective bargaining is just when workers get together uh, to uh, sit with employers and negotiate over wages, hours, and working conditions and to deal with their problems. So let me ask you this. What you say is absolutely true, I believe. I endorse everything you just said. Why then is membership in unions today, both public sector and private sector, so low? Why don't people, why don't particularly young people recognize that today and join a union? Well, I don't think it's because people don't want unions anymore. We, there are uh, polls that ask people uh, if you had the chance to uh, choose collective bargaining, uh, do you believe that you and a majority of your peers at work would choose collective bargaining? And, and right now, roughly half of uh, non-managerial workers would choose collective bargaining Hmm. tomorrow if they could. So the fact is that um, there's 
uh, a lot of unmet demand for collective bargaining. Now, the why why are they not in unions? Well, because one, maybe no one's asking them. Two, it's a very difficult and onerous process. Uh, it's not like uh, you have to have an election, but the election is not like uh, where you go to vote for your senator or your congresswoman. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, the the boss beats up on you. They they claim that they're going to. Uh, have to move or shut down. They can't afford the union. Uh, they can yeah. fire you, and you have really no, almost no recourse. i got to stop you there just because we're out of time. Thanks so much for coming in. If people want to see more about this report, they'll go to epi.org. Absolutely. epi.org, the Economic Policy Institute. Larry Michelle, thanks so much for coming in. Hunter Walker covers the White House for Yahoo News. Joins us next. What about Sebastian Gorka? What happened? We'll find out. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. In Texas, it's still raining. Uh, More rain expected today, tomorrow, all the way through Friday, up to 50 inches of rain in a city uh, that is already, speaking about Houston and its suburbs, already underwater. Maybe, just maybe, uh, Donald Trump ought to stay away until they get things under control down there. What do you say? Hello, everybody. It's a Monday, August 28th. Great to see you today on the Bill Press Show. Good to be back with you after uh, a little week on the West Coast. Uh, went out to see the eclipse in California uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Didn't count on the fog. Uh, didn't want to cooperate. And so uh, we didn't see the eclipse. We just saw a lot of fog instead. But watch the eclipse on the NASA stream, which was spectacular, uh, I must say, thanks to uh, NASA for providing that service to the uh, American people. And also thanks to uh, um, Sabrina Siddiqui, John Allen, Igor Volsky, and our own Peter Ogburn, of course, for filling in uh, while I was gone. Good to be back with you. Thank you so much for joining us. We've got lots to talk about today. Not only the situation out in uh, Texas with uh, uh, the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey, uh, but Donald Trump pardoning Joe Arpaio, Donald Trump making it official, transgender Americans not welcome in the military. And at least one cabinet member saying, when it comes to American values, Donald Trump doesn't speak for all the rest of us. And the president threatening to shut the government down if he doesn't get his damn wall. J. David Cox, president of the American Federation of Government Employees, will be here with us in studio to tell us the impact of that on uh, not just federal workers, but on all Americans. But first, this to, uh, is Jamie Benson here. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Monday morning. We begin with an op-ed published in The Atlantic on Sunday at theatlantic.com. Former Vice President Joe Biden 
speaking out against hatred and bigotry in this country and coming after Donald Trump. Uh, in the wake of Charlottesville, many uh, high-profile politicians have come out uh, to weigh in on how Donald Trump responded. Joe Biden is quoted in the Atlantic piece. This is a moment for this nation to, to declare what the president can't with any clarity, consistency or conviction. There is no place for these hate groups in America. Hatred of blacks, Jews, immigrants, all who are seen as the other won't be accepted or tolerated or given safe harbor anywhere in this nation. Pretty clear, uh, clear words there from Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Biden was right on with those comments in the Atlantic. He said uh, the soul of the nation is on the line. Yeah, we are uh, living through a battle for the soul of this nation. Yeah. So uh, powerful stuff from Joe Biden. If you haven't checked it out already on TheAtlantic.com. Uh, to the Trump administration, one member of the Trump administration has a family member uh, who may have gotten him in some hot water. Ryan Zinke, he is our <laughs> interior secretary. Ryan Zinke, of course, made some news last week announcing that they will not be closing any of the national monuments after a short review. There may be some modifications there. Uh, Ryan Zinke's daughter does not seem to be a fan of her dad's boss. Jennifer uh, Detlefson is a Navy veteran. The Billings Gazette in Montana uh, had a screenshot of a post that Zinke, uh, Zinke's daughter had put out there on social media. Jennifer Detlevson said, quote, the man is a disgrace. I've tried to keep politics out of my social media feed as much as possible, but this is inexcusable. And because we're just on YouTube, I'll go ahead and read this. This veteran says, sit down. And shut the fuck up. You know nothing. Never served piece of shit, she added. Uh, Jennifer Detlevson, the daughter of Ryan Zinke. Some strong words there for uh, Donald Trump. Uh, I imagine the, the daddy and daughter had a little conversation about that. I would think so. <laughs> and finally, uh, if you watched the big fight over the weekend, it was Floyd Mayweather. Uh, yeah. Floyd Mayweather Jr. going 10 rounds in defeating Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor, of course, an MMA I'm fighter. I'm amazed that McGregor lasted as long as he did. Lasted a long time. Supposedly Mayweather winning $100 million from this and uh, McGregor winning $30 million. However, I've heard higher from McGregor. I think he did pretty well, uh, no matter the loss. All right. Thank you, Jamie. We'll be right back with President J. David Cox. your radio on tv and online this is the bill press show hey what do you say folks on a monday august 28th good to see you thank you for joining us here and being part of the bill press show as we boom out to you coast to coast from our studio on capitol hill in washington dc uh it's a pleasure to be back with you after a week on the west coast with uh, my family chasing the eclipse in uh, california uh, the fog ruled over the eclipse. Uh, they decided, the fog decided it didn't want to go away. Uh, so we watched the eclipse on television. It was pretty spectacular on the NASA feed. Uh, and then up in uh, the state of Oregon, which was uh, beautiful as always. Uh, but the problem up there was uh, pretty heavy smoke from the forest fires uh, in Oregon that they are still battling up there. At any rate, we're back. And thanks to uh, those who filled in. So, Sabrina Siddiqui, Igor Volsky, John Allen, and our own Peter Ogburn uh, while I was gone. Great to see you today. Lots to talk about. Uh, let's start right out. There's a big uh, uh, headline today uh, that uh, from one of the uh, papers. The top federal union leader says 
Trump threat to shut down the government is irresponsible. That top federal union leader is President J. David Cox, president of the American Federation of Government Employees, who's sitting right across the table from us this morning. It's great to see you again, sir. Thanks for coming back in. Great to be with you, Bill. Everything. Uh, and, and, you know, so this was last Tuesday. President goes down to Phoenix, by the way, for a campaign rally. Yes. I mean, this is six months into the first year of his presidency, and he's holding a freaking campaign rally in, in, in Phoenix. And among other things, he makes this pledge. Here he is. Bill, that wall. Now, the obstructionist Democrats would like us not to do it, but believe me, if we have to close down our government, we're building that wall. This is the president of the United States threatening to shut down the government if he doesn't get his wall. Against his own party, against uh, the leader in the Senate, against the Speaker of the House, who say, no, they don't want a government shut down. But he wants a government shutdown. And by the way, I thought Mexico was supposed to pay for the wall. It doesn't talk about that anymore, does well, it? Well, there's, I mean, uh, surely he has the ability to get the money transferred right over here, and we don't have to have a government shutdown, stop elderly and disabled people, social security checks, uh, not uh, be able to inspect the food and keep the air clean, slow down, uh, or have no inspection at the airports. Uh, a government shutdown costs literally hundreds of billions of dollars, and it's devastating to the economy. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about, because I think a lot of people feel, oh, well, federal government shutdown, it means just the federal employees that, you know, the people consider, right, they're not real jobs or they're, they're making too much money and whatever, and that they're just going to be out of work for a while. So what, right? But it's, it's not, first of all, that's not true, right? It's not true. That's <laughs> not true. But also, it, it, the impact is far beyond just the federal employees. Uh, yes, it is. I mean, there's a lot of uh, contract workers that work for the federal government or uh, companies that have contract that produce goods and services for the federal government. Those shut down also. Uh, there's over 2 million people that work for the federal government. It, it's an effect nationwide. And and the and then, emergency people are required to go to work, and they don't pay them on payday. Whoa. And then there are all those Americans, all of us, who depend on yes. federal agencies for many, many services. You mentioned a couple of them about Social Security checks, right? Well, yes, but people forget the government issues passports. The government issues all type of credentialing, uh, small business loans, uh, the list goes on and on of the services the government provides. National a, parks. Uh, yeah, national parks, monuments, all of that shuts down. It all quits, and, uh, and there's vendors inside that sell souvenirs. They can't do that. It's it's a rippling effect to the economy. What about air traffic, con not, well, air traffic control and TSA? They are required to go to work, but they don't get paid on payday. Uh, I was a registered nurse in the VA, and back in the 90s and other government shutdowns, I was required to go to work, care for veterans, but payday came and I didn't get paid. How can they do that? Uh, the government is the only employer in this country that exempts itself from its own laws. All other employers have to pay employees on payday, but not the government. Right. Not the federal government. It, it's, a, it's a rippling effect. But, it, again, it's not – it's yeah. devastating to those employees who work for the federal and D.C. city governments affected also. Mm -hmm. But it's devastating to the economy 
uh, because, again, all these people don't have money. They quit buying goods and services, and and 85% of all federal employees live outside of the Beltway. So it, it's a nationwide thing, all because well, he 85, won't, I want to 85% of all federal employees live outside of so the Beltway. So when people hear this, it's not just Washington, D.C., right? No, no, this it's is not a, yeah. all over the country in many areas. The military base, the VA medical center, the the federal penitentiaries at various places, they're the largest employer in that local community. You take out their payroll uh, and it doesn't happen and they're not able to buy the local goods and services that they buy to operate those facilities. Uh, The whole economy of the area is affected. And what strikes me about this is is, is so different this time is, you know, we're used to at least the last few years, uh, the Tea Party yes. <laughs> Republicans in Congress saying, no, you know, we'll shut down the government if we uh, w- are not able to cancel funding for Planned Parenthood or some some pet cause of theirs, right? But th- these are not the Republicans in Congress. This is the president of the United States. This is the same president that his own party did not trust him during the recess and fixed it so they would not adjourn so that he could not do any recessed appointments. Uh, I've not experienced that in my entire life, and uh, uh, never before when the the same party has all three powers. They're pretty trusting of one another. This Republican Party does not trust this Republican president. Talk about how fast the news moves, by the way. That detail right there is incredibly important and was entirely swept over with everything that else has happened in the past couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. He um, and and he also, of course, uses this the obstructionist Democrat. Yes, <laughs> the obstructionist. I wish now the obstructionist Democrats would right. like us not to do it. But believe me, if we have yeah. to close down our government, we're building that wall. Yeah. I wish the obstructionist <laughs> Democrat. Right? No, they're not even players in this, right? No, no. I mean, no, the, the the Democrats don't have the power. So he has the ability to veto any type of uh, budget bill that his party, Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan, would send him, uh, which is an unheard of event for a president to veto his own party's bill and shut the government down. Uh, I, I can't believe it. I stand in total amazement. But, um, uh, yeah, uh, his own party does not trust him. He doesn't trust his own party. Right. What are you hearing uh, from Republicans and Democrats on the Hill about this threat by the president. I'm hearing from all of them, Republicans and Democrats, they do not want a government shutdown. They want to raise the debt ceiling. They will probably do continuing resolutions, which will be stopgap spending measures, which uh, is, is harmful to the economy, harmful to the American people, because when they do a continuing resolution, agencies only get a smaller portion of their budget. They can't plan. They can't operate. But uh, that's better than shutting the government down. So that's that's their desire. They want to continue to move forward. They want uh, it. The party in power um, that causes the shutdown, it's always harmful to them, and and, uh, it costs them an election. I was just going to say, we've seen this happen. (laughs) We've seen this play out before. I mean, my memory only goes back to the Newt Gingrich shutdown under under Bill Clinton, but we saw that was a devastating impact for the Republican Party. You'd think they would have learned their lesson. As you say, the party in power, the one responsible for the shutdown, 
uh, always suffers. And it, it was devastating. Right? I lived in Salisbury, North Carolina at that time, the VA Medical Center, the largest employer in the entire county. And, and when that payroll didn't occur on payday, uh, it was a rippling effect. Uh, Everyone, I mean, the local businesses suffered from it because the VA employees didn't have any money to spend at the grocery store, to to be buying gas, uh, to make their car payments. Uh, The list went on, and it it was harmful to everyone. And and again, back to this case, what the president is saying to the Congress, again, to members of his own party, right? Right. You give me what I want for this wall. You put the money in there to build this wall or— He'll veto any spending or veto the budget, right, or veto anything. He'll veto it, but I still Which would remember shut the government down. I still yeah. remember repeatedly during the campaign, he would say, "We're going to build the wall, and who's going to pay for it? Mexico." Uh, the whole crowd. Would, would. <laughs> so I mean, uh, hey, Mexico, come on, send that money. We need it in this country because we need government workers to go to work, provide goods and services for the American people that they deserve, veterans health care, social security, clean air, clean water, um, uh, and and keep the government operating, uh, not let some uh, acting out person shut the government down. So do you think this is a, uh, a Trump, just a bluff, or this is just Trump, you know, bragging or pontificating, or do you think he really means it? I think he really means it. Uh, I've seen other things that he's done. Uh, he, he makes uh, various comments as we uh, went through the events in Charlottesville. Uh, I believe uh, he, he, he very much knew what he was doing. Uh, yeah, they corral him and come back after the fact and say, okay, be a good boy, follow the teleprompter. But when he speaks, he speaks how he actually feels. He, he he says, oh, yeah, yeah, that, uh, you know, this white supremacy group, they 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 were really OK people mm-hmm. and yeah, very and fine people, very yeah. fine people and blame on both sides. Uh, uh, I grew up in the South. Racism is wrong. Um, period. Bi- period. Period. Bill. Yeah. Period. And and yes, I saw statues, monuments, various things start being put up in the 50s and 60s simply because there was a move for equal rights and civil rights in this country. You, all you got to do, just go back. Uh, yeah, they tried to change the fact uh, and the, the thought process. This was about buying and selling human beings uh, to, for economic purposes. Get real. It was slavery. It was the darkest day in the history of this country. And... Um, I had a friend to share an idea with me this past week, and I, I, I want to share it. I want people to start talking about it. We say, remove these monuments, uh, and I support that. But his comment to me was, take the monument down, but leave the base. Make parents have to explain to their mm. children that that part of our history was so evil. That's the reason it's gone. But if you just wipe out the base and everything, you wipe out the history make people ask why there's a base and nothing there because it was so evil in our own history of this country. Uh, yeah, and you know me, Bill. I've got very strong feelings about this. That's a, yeah, but that's a very powerful idea, you know. Very powerful. Because I mean, Taking them down is history in itself. I mean, we're living that history right now. Yeah, That should be right. documented, and that's an excellent way to do it. But then if we leave the base, 
somebody's got to explain why there's a base setting there and there is nothing on it. And it gives an opportunity for parents and schools and whoever to explain why this country took it down and why there's a bare spot. So as a proud Southerner, how do you respond to the argument that we hear from Donald Trump? And, of course, the um, the white supremacists have been saying this right for well since the days of the Civil War, right, that that these monuments, this is part of our heritage. We're celebrating our heritage and our history. This has nothing to do with racism. This is about the history of this country. There was a civil war in this country, and it was fought over slavery, the buying and selling of human beings on the town square for economic purposes. And those That's monuments, right, like that statue of Robert E. Lee, they were put up, right, uh, to, as monuments to white supremacy. Yes, it was, right. and to and for suppression of African Americans, to suppress uh, uh, and create great Jim Crow days, to suppress voter rights, all of those type things. And uh, yes, uh, the, it's it's history, but it's not a proud heritage. I am from the South. I'm from North Carolina, and I don't consider one darn thing about slavery anything that I or anybody should ever be proud of. And if anything, this country, Congress should eventually pass a resolution apologizing for slavery and that it occurred in this country. Other organizations have apologized for things that happened in the Second World War. The Holocaust took the Catholic Church a long time to apologize for the Holocaust. So I believe this country needs to apologize for slavery. And there's folks who will say, well, I've never owned a slave. I had no. I, I, I can't comprehend such things, but still yet, this country is a part of our history, and we haven't apologized for doing something wrong. Con- you can tell I'm pretty deep into this right now. Well, Bill. no, you are, but I, I didn't—that's—I find that stunning. Congress has never done that. No. We as a country have never done we that. We have not done that. And again, this is not a proud heritage. This is a part of history— just as a Revolutionary War, or other things that have gone on, uh, just as the Holocaust went on in, in, in Europe and other things, and, and things that we did during the Second World War. We did the internment of Japanese Americans. Uh, I mean, this country's not been perfect in many other things also. So uh, people need to talk about all of those issues. But uh, uh, let's talk about slavery. Slavery is just wrong. President J. David Cox with us, the president of the American Federation of uh, Government Employees uh, and a proud native of uh, North Carolina. Very uh, much yeah, so. Right. Um, I want to come back to, to ask about the economy or the, about the shutdown because there's an article in the, uh, in the Washington Post you may have seen this morning. Yes. Uh, by uh, Joe Davidson. The headline is, The specter of shutdown is especially frightening for government contract workers. Yes, because uh, they have contract. So? Well, they have contracts. Uh, there are goods and services. The government contracts. There's a lot of them in the, across the country. Uh, because whenever there's a government shutdown, it shut down the flow of cash to them. Also, so these now, are people who have contracts with all the different federal agencies. That's exactly to right. provide services, so, right, or to or help go, or goods. They or mean, goods. The government yeah. uh, uh, buys lots of things uh, and. Uh, uh, 
to, uh, to operate on. We, we support our war fire, fighters with uh, medicines for VA hospitals, uh, the food that we feed the veterans of VA hospitals. It's, uh, it's all those type things that we mm-hmm. buy goods and services. But, yeah, it cuts that money off also. So there, there are, and are, are there as many of them as there are federal employees, or maybe uh, more? There are more. There more. are more. There is a shadow workforce that uh, the government can't tell you just how many they are. That's one reason we've continued with a moratorium. Uh, it's called the A76. It's the study to contract out work because the government has so many contracts, it can't give you an inventory and can't tell you how much it's paying for them. Uh, what happens to um, – so there are certain exceptions, and you mentioned one of them. Uh, the Pentagon, I guess, is always exempt, correct? Not always. The, well, parts, yes, parts, no. Uh, it, it varies with each government shutdown uh, where things Those are, are at. In, in uniform on the front lines? The, the, the front line, the, the military, yes. Active they military. Can, they continue, okay. but the active military – has to have body armor. They have to have their airplanes repaired. They have to have their equipment uh, uh, maintained. There has to be new equipment bought for them. There has to be food to feed the troops with. But we start running out of money to do all of those things. Whenever you, Congress doesn't appropriate a budget, it just it's a, comes to standstill in this country. Yeah. I, I mean, the ripple effect. It, it, it goes it, it, all over, all over not just this country, but it goes all over the world because, again, we're buying goods and services uh, as a country and all probably virtually every country in the world because we have troops stationed around the world. Right. I remember the last uh, – I, I don't know whether it was the last shutdown, but I do remember when um, the National Monuments were closed. Yes. Remember the protest here at the at the World War II Memorial, and the, the, all the veterans had come to be there, and there was members of Congress saying it's their monuments; they should let them in. But the same members of Congress wouldn't have vote to approve a budget to maintain the parks and services. Uh, you you can't have your cake and eat it too. Right. Uh, the last half hour, uh, President Cox, we had in studio with Larry Larry Michels from the Economic Policy Institute. Uh, you may have seen it. They issued a report last week uh, The uh, the headline uh, of, of the article about it is How Today's Unions Help Working People, Giving Workers the Power to Improve Their Jobs and Unrig the Economy. And the point he was making is that they found that, um, you know, collective bargaining is just the most important tool that that workers have, you know, in this country, and they have it through the power of the of the unions, so that's the only way workers have a chance to to be able to bargain to get decent wages. Uh, look at all these auto uh, workers that's tried to organize, particularly in the South. And uh, oh, they'll say, "Oh, we're making more money than our friends are making," but they're still making anywhere five or ten dollars or more less an hour, less benefits. Sure, it's a better job than what they had, but at the same token. These companies are making plenty of money. They need to share with the workers the way to the middle class, the way to own a home, raise your children, save for retirement, educate your children is by having collective bargaining. As we see the decrease in collective bargaining, we've seen the overall wages of everyone in this country go down. Right. And we now have, again, an administration where I'm sure, you know, what Donald Trump wants to make, this is a right to work 
nation. A right to work for less For nation. less, yes, for, right. And, uh, yeah, we, we use these terms like right to work. Uh, no, it's not right to work. It's right to work for less money. Uh, and as we've uh, beat back unions, made it very difficult for unions to organize, for workers to band together and bargain collectively, it's harming all workers. Everything I read also every day in any one of the newspapers or see on TV, wages the, uh, are down. Everyone's wages are down. The buying power is down. However, the upper 1% has more and more and more. So we know trickle-down don't work. Right. So the question I asked Larry, I'll, I'll ask you too, is we know this, you know this, I know this, proud union member for over 30 years, but why why do so many young people today, why is the membership down in unions across the board, both private sector and public sector unions? Part of it, it has become more and more difficult to form and join unions. The laws are stacked against us. Uh, we had an opportunity here a few years ago to get the Employee Free Choice Act where yeah. we would have had card check. Uh, you get companies that's spending hundreds of millions to billions of dollars in busting unions and, and fighting uh, against uh, the workers organizing, and particularly the auto workers in the southern plants. They've got a very construed method where they all the workers work more than 50 miles from that plant. They, they hire them from all these different mm. directions so that they don't join together in communities, Make social groups, clubs, yeah, churches, right. all those type things. Because, you know, community drives issues. It's, it's I mean, very methodical in what they have done. But yet, as we, we see unions go down, we're seeing wages go down. And sooner or later, the American people have got to wake up and realize that collective bargaining is the best thing for working people in this country. Yeah, and there's a lot of education there needed too, right? So people understand the role unions have played in building a middle class in this country. A a whole lot of education over that. And I think people have forgotten about it. People believe that, oh, well, oh, this is just sort of the way it's always been. No, No. a 40-hour work week uh, didn't just (laughs) fall out of the sky. Uh, Health insurance or our minimum wages or, or, or various things, those didn't fall out of the sky. They came out because people fought for them. I want to come back to, so uh, you are not only one of our great labor leaders, but one of the greatest, best, uh, and strongest progressives that I that I that I know from North Carolina. And you've been very active down there, particularly with the Reverend William Barber, in turning North Carolina around. Uh, are you still hopeful that's going to happen in North I, Carolina, Bill? I have a lot of hope. We've elected a great governor who is struggling very hard in North Carolina. I was actually down visited with him. Uh, uh, he, he had all the union leaders in North Carolina over to the governor's mansion for breakfast a few weeks ago. Uh, all of us working together. Uh, yes, we have got to uh, change the legislature that are constantly trying to annihilate his powers and his rules, uh, give him uh, people to work with so that they can't override every veto. Uh, but there is still going to be change. At least the courts are standing firm on the redistricting. Mm-hmm. Reverend Barber is leading the crowd, uh, and uh, there's rallies every day. And actually, today I will be joining with Reverend Al Sharpton uh, and many other uh, religious leaders here in D.C. on the Mall uh, leading a march along with other union leaders 
Uh, yeah. And it, now, it's, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. This, it was maybe just about a year ago that you were here in studio <laughs> and you let, walked out of the studio and then you got arrested. Are you, are, are, are you, are you telling me you're going to get arrested again I'm today? I'm not planning on getting arrested today, but I definitely <laughs> plan to talk about hate. And hate is wrong. And no matter what your religious background is, the Old Testament speaks against hate. The New Testament speaks against hate. The Koran speaks against hate. We are all supposed to love the stranger in our midst. We are supposed to care for the poor. We are supposed to look after those that are the least amongst us. And so that's what I'm going to be talking about today. And I'm proud to join with uh, religious leaders from all faiths, all backgrounds, other trade unionists today in a march because we need to send a message to this president and to this country that we have a moral responsibility to take care of those that can't care for themselves. That's the best response to what we heard from Charlottesville from the president of the United States. President J. David Cox, thank you for who you are. Thank and thanks you, Bill. For, thanks for coming in today, Always too. Great Always great to, to see you. you. And you know, our show is a sponsored in part by the American Federation of Government Employees, for which we're very grateful. Thank you, sir. Hunter Walker covers the White House for Yahoo News. Coming up next here on The Bill Press Show. Noah. He's not saying that Mexico is going to pay for it. He hasn't said they're not either. Noah. Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Here we go on a Monday, Monday, August 28. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here. It is The Bill Press Show, booming out to you live from our studio in Capitol Hill uh, with uh, you on YouTube, YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show, of course. On WCPT out in Chicago and on Free Speech TV, coast to coast. Good to have you with us. Um, and we have been monitoring uh, the situation in Houston. Cable news this morning been wall to wall, all Houston, because the rains continue there. The aftermath of Hurricane Harvey, uh, where Houston, the fourth largest city in the country, is actually like a lake today. Uh, the streets are uh, all flooded. Um, many, many people rescued from their homes. Rain expected to continue today, tomorrow, and through the end of the week. And yet at the present time, President Trump is scheduled to go to Texas tomorrow. Hunter Walker covers the White House for uh, Yahoo News and joins us in studio. Hello, Hunter. It's always good to see you. Thanks for Thanks having for me. Thanks for coming in. Uh, if you listen to Donald Trump's or read Donald Trump's tweets, about Hurricane Harvey. It's almost like he's bragging about how big this hurricane is, right? On his watch, right? Uh, it was very interesting because I saw the Times did an article over the weekend that got a lot of um, criticism on Twitter where basically they cr they credited the president with monitoring the storm. And they said that his, his tweets about it were evidence that he was monitoring the storm. Um, 
other people kind of said, why should he have time to tweet if this is happening? Um, but I do find, I mean, you know, this is like the whole question we had earlier with whether these are presidential statements. It's hard to really convey the right presidential tone and seriousness in a tweet, especially some of his yeah. where he was like, thanks. You know, it's, it's, yeah. well, it's the, the most recent tweet, right? Uh, yeah. uh, 13, 14 hours ago. Historic in all caps rainfall in Houston and all over Texas. Floods are unprecedented and more rain coming. Spirit of the people is incredible. Thanks. Yeah. Exclamation mark. The thanks. And the thanks one, is weird. He yeah, had one but, before said, wow, biggest, what, biggest storm than, what was that one, Jamie? It, it's, uh, now experts are calling Harvey a once in 500 year flood. <laughs> we have an all out effort going and going well. He also, by the way, the, on the thank you point, when he uh, finally issued the transgender ruling, like the official wording. Oh. He closed it with thank you. Well, wasn't it Orlando, too, when there was the Pulse shooting? He um, it, he thanked everyone for congratulations for predicting problems with terrorism like that? No, but the, the Pulse shooting was under Obama. No, no, but, but oh, candidate oh. Trump oh, candidate said something Trump. like, thanks oh, for I, your thank congrats. Thank you to the oh. LGBT community. I will fight for you while Hillary oh. brings in more people that will oh, threaten oh, you. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 So these, yeah. These, these thank yous, this, this, this tendency to make it about him... Um, is sometimes odd. So what do you hear from the, the the White House has said his schedule for tomorrow. Look, again, I, I don't want to be too critical here because yeah. um, every president wants to be sure that the, when a natural disaster occurs, that they're on top of it, mm -hmm. right? And President Bush did this not so well with Katrina, but afterward, President Obama, now President Trump, and, they, and, and part of that is going to the scene, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but the timing is always the issue, right? So the White House now has planned this trip for tomorrow where they're we're telling us they could have up to 50 inches of rain in Houston and the rain's going to continue through Friday. Is tomorrow really the day when Trump ought to go down there? You know, I think that's such a difficult calculus, as, as you were alluding to. I mean, you have Governor Abbott saying that he's not going to go to Houston. He's going to go to areas. The president is going to go to areas further inland so as not to cause a disruption. Um, so, yeah, that does raise the question of should he be going down there at all right now? Um on well, the other, on the anywhere, other, on the anywhere yeah. he goes, there are going to be people who ain't going to be in Houston doing what they should be doing. They're going to be over there. You know, when a presidential visit comes, that's a lot of law enforcement people required. Yeah, but you know, I, at the same token, I would say that if he didn't get to Texas quickly. Um, there would be people who were upset about that yeah. um, and people down there who felt like he wasn't paying attention to them, which which we've seen before and is not a good thing. So I, I, I don't know that I can I can criticize that too much. But what, what I certainly found odd was that he spent the weekend at Camp David, which, you know, you right. literally saw Vice President Pence at the head of the table in the Situation Room. Mm -hmm. And I am not sure, specifically since we knew this storm was bearing down, you know what? I I have not heard any good reason for him to have been at Camp David this weekend. And between that, you know, the two plus weeks in Bedminster, all the golf trips, you really have to wonder what's wrong with the White House. Why why can't this president just just you know spend a full seven days in his home office? Right. On the uh, well, final word on the Texas thing. Yeah. I hear your point. I'd say still give him a couple of days. Give him a couple of days to get there, to get to get. To, to to rescue people, right? To make sure everybody's okay, and then then go down there. So we'll see what they 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 do say their schedule's flexible. Maybe today they'll delay for a day or so. Uh, in the meantime, 
under the cover of uh, Hurricane Harvey, uh, Sebastian Gorka slips out of the White House. Uh, and uh, the White House was pretty sure that we all knew that he didn't leave on his own. What's <laughs> so, going on? So my colleague Olivier Knox and I yeah. covered this live as it unfolded, and it, it was pretty incredible. Um, basically, you had uh, the news that Gorka had left, and it was broken on some... Yeah, how did it get out? Um, I believe The Federalist, um, a pretty heavy conservative website, was mm-hmm. first. Um, if they were not first, they were first with the text of what they described as this epic resignation letter. And the word was that Gorka resigned himself and he said, you know, there are ascendant for, you know, let me put on his accent because it, it adds uh, the proper mm. drama. There are ascendant forces in the White House against the MAGA agenda. Um, and he wrote this dramatic letter. Um, and then we reached out to the White House and there was a lot of speculation, you know, a lot of conspiracy theories about, you know, how statements reached the press. I believe I was the first with the White House statement. I got it from a high level official who said, um, you know, I can confirm he's no longer with us, but he did not resign. Uh-huh. Meow. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so then you have Gorka saying he resigned. Um, you have the White House saying he did not resign. I tried to call Gorka. I, I was joking. You know, I usually say did not respond to requests to comment, did not respond to multiple requests to comment. This should have been did not respond to myriad requests for comment really? or yeah. multiple, multiple, multiple. I probably called and texted Gorka six times on Friday just to try to let him air his side. Um, it's part of why I know his accent so well. It's, it's mm. quite a voicemail machine he's got. Um, but he did not answer at all. Um, and we subsequently heard that sort of the truth was somewhere between a firing and a resignation that um, Chief of Staff John Kelly, who is cleaning house a little bit over there, sat called Gorka on Friday, which was the last day of a vacation, apparently, and told him his security clearance had been rescinded. Whoa. Yeah. And the security clearance being rescinded effectively. I mean, we're not really clear what his job was besides going on TV. But but it was national security issues, right? There's not much. He spoke to those. Right. There's not much he could have done credibly without that clearance. Yeah. So it seems that they told him the clearance was rescinded. Um, They had further meetings uh, scheduled for today. Uh, After the revocation of that clearance, the writing sort of would have been on the wall. So he put in the letter. So who is he, anyhow? <laughs> um, He's this mysterious figure, right? It, it's sort of, yes. Did he, he come out of the campaign? Yes. So so he came from the Breitbart world. He's a Bannon acolyte. Yeah. He um, is, his family is of Hungarian extraction, but he was born in the UK. Um, he later returned to Hungary um, as sort of a political leader in his own right. Um while there, the forward has unearthed this stuff. Uh, he may or may not have had dalliances with sort of far right and anti-Semitic parties over there. Yeah, yeah. He I then, you know, popped up back in the states. So this is we're talking about the early aughts that he was back in uh-huh. Hungary. He then popped up back in the states and kind of fashioned himself as a terrorism analyst and national security expert. Um, he does have this PhD, this doctorate from Hungary, and I believe political science. Um, but a lot of people in the national security and terrorism field, I mean, any of your listeners who Google this, there's there's a lot of experts who have completely questioned his credentials. Um, 
Nevertheless, he was writing for Breitbart and serving as an editor there in this capacity as a um, terrorism mm-hmm. expert. Mm-hmm. He and his wife also seem to have operated some sort of consultancy. I guess you know everybody does down here. Um, so then when Bannon got onto the campaign, I guess Gorka was was an advisor and TV surrogate for the campaign. He then went into the White House, (laughs) and um, many of us who've been reporting on this administration have been trying to get a clear sense of what exactly does Seb Gorka do. Except appear on television. Yeah, and and that question was never entirely answered. But he was on TV a good bit, and the president reportedly really enjoyed his appearances. That's what, yeah. Keep this guy out there, right? He's great, he's great, you're great. So he may have been a TV surrogate um, more than anything else, um, but whatever it is, he's gone now. And there have been issues with his security clearance from the beginning. Does so? Does he go back to Breitbart? Um, I I was just listening to um, Amy Goodman this morning, and and that's what she's reporting. What about his wife, Catherine Gorka? She's a member of the administration, right? She's in DHS. That is a very good question. That's one of the ones that I, I two of the questions that I have right now are some of these um, holdovers after some of the firings that we've right. seen. So, for example, um, Steve Bannon had his young aide, Julia Hahn, who was mm. like his right hand woman. Yeah. She was brought into the White House. I don't know if she's still there. I've reached out to her directly. I've asked right. others. Um, same thing with Catherine Gorka. She got a position at DHS. Um I think, hopefully, maybe, we'll find out this week um, what has happened with some of those other associates. And what about Stephen Miller? <laughs> I mean, if, if you think of, if I think of the troika of the alt-right in the White House, right, it would be Steve Bannon, Sebastian Gorka, and Stephen Miller. I mean, Steve Steve Miller has kind of won the Game of Thrones, right? I mean, <laughs> Yeah, it seems to me, right? I mean, he certainly has. It seems he's established a relationship with Trump Maybe that the others did not. I think he's, from what I've heard, he's also established a relationship with Jared and Ivanka, which is not normally mm-hmm. associated with this sort of alt-right right. Uh, Bannonite wing in the White House. So Steve Miller seems to have um, sort of masterfully navigated uh, all the turbulence and all the alliances in this administration. Um, and he's managed to, though being part of this Bannon wing of the White House, build other relationships that for now seem to have saved him, even as that sect seems to be getting purged. Right. And we'll never forget his appearance in the White House briefing room, (laughs) (laughs) where, again, he was given the license, basically, to go in there and dump on the media, right? And uh, Yeah. I mean, you know, a big question I have for the White House- Selling the immigration- Policy, yeah, when he had that epic, um, that epic throwdown with Jim Acosta over the Jim Acosta and Glenn Thresh. Right? Yeah, yeah. I a big question that I have, and I, I'm hoping to ask it soon. Um, in Cambodia, you have an authoritarian prime minister who's facing increasing criticism from uh, opposition in the country, human rights groups, um, and part of where that's coming from is his crackdown on the press. As he's done that, he's pointed to Trump repeatedly. And he said, you know, Trump has the same issues with the media that I do. And, you know, I was thinking about this last week as the White House was talking about their efforts to deal with the situation in Venezuela. Um, How can we credibly stand up to and combat authoritarian regimes elsewhere or criticize authoritarian regimes elsewhere when we are doing our own crackdown on the press? And and Cambodia is just one prominent example, um, and I think... 
you know, this there could be many more if this uh, if we continue with this trend of an autocrat saying, hey, I find comfort in, in the Trump administration's attacks on the press. And, you know, M- Miller, uh, Miller certainly relished in that in his biggest appearance. Right. Uh, I forget the exact name of the organization, but the uh, the Committee to Protect Journalists or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, CPJ. Is, is that what it is? That's one, that's one of them, yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, have have said, you know, that they... And, and we know we've I've supported their work and hailed their work around the world, um, but now they're, they're not looking just at places like Pakistan or Egypt, right, or Russia, right? They're looking at the United States where... Um, uh, ca- clear cases of people going out and 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 uh, urging violence, you know, or against members of the media. Yeah, and and I'll starting t- with the occupant of the White House. I I was in Phoenix last week for oh, you um, were. the president's yeah. oh. rally. Whoa. Um, and it was dangerous, and it was dangerous to be a reporter. Um, there were people on both sides of the protest, um, open carrying. Um, you saw left and right wing militia groups carrying assault rifles. Um, and then particularly among the Trump supporters, um, you know, well, I, I saw one guy who was, I, I ended up. He pointed up, you out, right? Well, I, I wasn't inside. Oh, I was just I outside the rally. Ooh. But um, just talking to those people, you know, I'll give you a good example. I was photographing a protester that had a sign that said, no racism, right? And some people started screaming at me, crooked media, crooked media. And they were essentially mad that I was photographing a protester. I, I, I thought it was interesting that they just sort of assumed that someone with a sign that said no racism was against them. Um, yeah. But, right. you know, I walked over and I said to them, what's wrong? Because they were just screaming at me. Um, and I ended up quoting them for my article because their whole point was like, oh, um, you know, you're you're quoting the protesters. You're not quoting us, which literally I was on the side with the Trump supporters to speak to them. But, you know, when you see protests and rallies becoming increasingly violent, guns becoming an increasing open presence at stuff. And this would I mean, date back to the RNC. Um, and then you see the media as a target. Um, and what you're describing, too, where we're sitting in the pen at rallies and mm-hmm. he's pointing us out and people are screaming. I mean, it's 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 not good. And, and I hope nothing happens. There was a very, um, I think, significant uh, statement, maybe, or uh, revelation into the thinking of one leading cabinet member yesterday when uh, Secretary <laughs> of State Rex Tillerson was on Fox and uh, Fox Fox uh, News Sunday uh, and asked about American values. Tillerson, first of all, saying that basically we still stand for all the things that the world thinks of the United States as standing for. I don't believe anyone doubts the American people's values or the commitment of the American government or the government's agencies to advancing those values and defending those values. Nobody doubts that we are whom we say we are. Well, what about that man in the White House, Chris Wallace, wants to know? And, and the president's values? The president speaks for himself, Chris. Whoa. <laughs> that speaks volumes, doesn't it? And it's not the only thing like that that we saw in the past week. Um, there's video floating around, and, and your listeners can find this, of Defense Secretary Mattis speaking to troops in, I believe it was Jordan, and he said, um, you guys, he said this statement, it was it was maybe a little more cryptic than what Tillerson said, but he said, you guys need to hold the line until the people in America return to our values. 
Um, and, you know, you guys are sort of the last defense. Mm. And it, it, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, between those comments, between what Gary Cohen said to the Financial Times, uh, where he basically blasted the president's response to Charlottesville, I mean, pretty strong language for a top White House advisor, uh, we're seeing a lot of high-level officials sort of distance themselves. Distance themselves. Did Cohen uh, uh, offer his resignation? It, that's that's what's being reported. I mean, you know, I personally am. We, we've seen this a lot of times now, where the president does something, and an official has sources close to them leak that they were just they were just scandalized by yeah, it. Yeah. Um. You know, that's not that doesn't mean that much to me. It's just sort of personal branding and distancing yourself from stuff. I can tell you, I I was at Trump Tower the day of the presser. Um, and I directly, uh, there's video of it on my Twitter, I tried to ask Gary Cohn about um, Nazi support for the president and how he felt about that. And I got what at best could be described as a nervous smile and shuffle. And yeah. I'm Jewish, and I specifically asked him, I said, as a Jewish man, how do you feel about this? And he didn't touch it. So, you know, when you see someone like that who had an opportunity on a pretty big stage to publicly correct or rebuke this yeah, stuff right and then a week later you know through aids and, right. and a series of articles they come out with sort of a pr branded and packaged response that's all it seems to be to me he was clearly uncomfortable looking at the this is watching the video <laughs> yeah. you were there i yes. just saw it on the video uh the person that i think that i it seems to me tell me if i'm wrong that had no problems at all with what the president said was Steve Mnuchin. Yes, yeah, Steve. Well, Steve, it was it was a very interesting dynamic. I see him as such an ass kisser that, that <laughs> Trump could do nothing wrong. You know, because I think my take on Mnuchin is he just loves the camera, loves the glory. <laughs> He's in the briefing room all the time. You know. Well, what we saw at that press conference was very interesting. Trump made a statement on infrastructure. We were told he was not going to take any questions. Oh yeah. And then Elaine Chao and Gary Cohen were going to come down. The president ended up taking questions. And then I actually coaxed Elaine Chao and Gary Cohen. They, they weren't going to do it because he just had yeah. that long, long presser that, yeah. that didn't exactly go very well. Um, but Mnuchin was never publicly going to stand up for the White House on that day, which I do find interesting. We did see him in the briefing room on Friday. Um, where he took questions about Cohen and, and stuff. And I think that was, you know, ostensibly he was there to discuss Venezuela sanctions. But I think it was pretty telling that they brought out another prominent Jewish face in the administration. They brought out one of Gary Cohen's colleagues at the moment that that interview was happening. Yeah, here he is. Friday. Under no circumstances uh, was was I going to resign. Uh, Gary and I have known each other for 20 years. I can tell you I'm speaking to him every day. His number one focus is absolutely working on tax reform with me. So as an American Jew, uh, it's OK with uh, if Trump salutes the people who say Jews will not replace us because I'm going to stay here and work on tax reform. I, I mean, I you know, knowing people on Wall Street, I actually think uh, that logic might might work for some of them. <laughs> but I also think, you know, uh, Steve, Steve Mnuchin had his own issues, right? I mean, he he had this important eclipse field trip to take. So <laughs> who knows yeah. if he would have wanted to leave? You know, he, he might not. He might have lost his jet to Fort Knox. Uh, Paul Fari in the Washington Post this morning has an interesting article about um, uh, reported. I was on vacation, but Friday uh, at Friday's briefing alone. Uh, Sarah Sanders promised 10 times, said 10 times, I'll get back to you on that. 
Has she ever told you, I'll get back to you on that? And has she ever gotten back to you on that? So that has been a big dodge of this White House. But but I but I will say something for Sarah here. By the way, of any White House, I remember Robert Gibbs saying, <laughs> I'll get back to you. And not as many times, but... Yeah, I, but, but I will say something for Sarah here. I, I have seen her get back to people a couple oh. times. And I also have seen, look, we had a televised briefing on Friday. Since, you know, the shuffles yeah. in the press office, right. things have gotten better in terms of transparency. And I think I think credit where credit is due to her. Um, she has returned the briefing. She's having them frequently. Um, she's having them on television. We've had presidential press conferences. That was a big uh, bug for me, the the five or yeah. six months when there was no press conference. Yeah. Um, and I think they're, we... They're not exactly presidential press conferences, but I don't know what you mean. But I, he's, he's taking questions from reporters. It's yes. not a... It's not formal White House press conference. It's not the blackout that we saw um, exactly. for such no, a long exactly. period of time. Exactly. Yeah. And and so you know, I, I'm willing to see whether she, whether or not she uses that as a dodge. But so far, I would say her tenure has been positive. Right. Um, will um, Secretary Zinke's daughter be getting a job in the administration <laughs> in terms of family members uh taking on the president of the united states we've never seen anything quite like uh and uh, we cannot repeat on the air the things that she called president trump <laughs> but, well um there'll probably be a briefing today i'll see you down there okay hunter right, thanks so much there. for coming in thanks for it's a rocky you. ride interesting <laughs> buckle up <laughs> buckle up that's right That's it for today, folks. Have a great Monday. Come back and see us again tomorrow. We'll be here with lots to talk about. This is the Bill Press Show.